You're listening to FundFlow, a podcast for emerging managers, offering insights into the journey of new and aspiring fund managers seeking to have access in a crowded market. Tune in as McGuire Woods partner and host, John Finger, is joined by guests ranging from first-time fund managers to proven emerging managers, experienced LPs poised to back emerging managers, and other key participants in the emerging manager ecosystem. Hear their real-world perspectives and gain actionable tips to help inform your strategy and position yourself for a successful fund closing. Welcome to FundFlow, a podcast for emerging managers. I'm John Finger, and today I'm very pleased to be joined by Billy Prather, founder and the CIO of Cypress Creek Partners, which spun out of one of the largest university endowments and is focused on empowering the next generation of investors via their anchor partner model. Billy, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on one of the, I guess, first dozen or so of these uh, FunFlow podcasts. Excellent. Bill, appreciate you. Let's start. And if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit more about your history in investing and how it led to the launch of Cypress Creek. Yeah, I guess that, that's a, a bit of a longer question, but Cypress Creek for background really stands as the third investment team that I had the opportunity to help build in my career. Uh, the first one was uh, BlackRock, or at BlackRock as a GP. Uh, the second one was uh, at Utimco as an LP, uh, making Cypress Creek the third one. But when I when I really think about my investment career, I use one basic lens, and uh, this will tie into some of our later conversation uh, about what we really do at Cypress Creek. But the, the the lens is, you know, this first decade of my career was really spent on the GP side. It was an amazing experience, basically under the BlackRock umbrella the whole time, and it was uh, truly go-anywhere type capital. The second uh, second phase of my career, uh, or the second decade, was really the LP side, uh, which um, started with Utimco and is currently with Cypress Creek. And uh, and, and by the way, Utimco, uh, University of Texas Investment Management Company, that was not a mistake on my side. That's my alma mater for undergrad and my grad. So uh, I was quite drawn there. But, you know, really, really to kind of get to the heart of it, it's it, it's that blend of kind of GPLP experience that you'll see consistent across my team at Cypress Creek that is really, truly instrumental to understanding our strategy. And that sets the stage a bit, but the Cypress Creek journey for me, probably uh, looking back, it, it really started with me walking into probably my boss's office at BlackRock in 2014 and you know, midtown Manhattan and telling him I was going to go join my alma mater's uh, endowment, become an LP. And, and what I really told him was, you know, look, you know, he, he looked at me a little funny and he said, well, so you don't want to be on the GP side? <laughs> and I said, well, well, hold on. Like, to be clear, this is not a traditional LP seat. This, you know, my old, my, my endowment, uh, my alma mater has been really running more of this private equity of private equity type model. John, you probably get it. I didn't really know what that meant. I was just kind of saying some words that I had heard and built, you know, some building blocks. Um, <laughs> so I, I later, I obviously later found out really what that meant and had an opportunity to evolve that strategy. But um, I guess what is probably critical to understanding 
what I thought of as the private equity of private equity at the time is understanding a little bit about Utimco's history. And John, I think you probably know a little bit more about Utimco's history, but but for your listeners, um, it's probably prudent to go into some of that. Sure. Uh, you can stop me if you, you disagree, though. That's great. Okay. Well, so Utimco, I mean, today it's called a 60 billion plus institution. It has a phenomenal reputation uh, and a well-deserved reputation for anchoring new and developing managers. Back in the 90s, uh, when Utimco was actually formed, it started investing in private assets and it understood out of the gates the importance of building those deep relationships when you have these long data partnerships. And so in the early innings, they, they really built, uh, yeah, I call them bridges. They built one bridge between that GPLP and it was capital. And when you think about new and developing managers in, in the 90s, there weren't a lot of people pursuing that. It was not crowded with capital. And so that bridge was a differentiator by itself. Utimco are obviously great partners, but that capital was a differentiator. You fast forward to the 2010s, uh, Utimco is probably about 20 billion or so when I joined. And it was pretty clear at that point capital was the commodity. If you looked at that bridge, that was a heavily trafficked bridge between the GP and LP that people were partnering on. And so it, it no longer provided that uniqueness. And so the hiring of uh, my cohort uh, at Utimco, most of which were from the GP side, were under this under this thought process of how do we deepen these relationships? How do we build other bridges? And so the second and third bridge were built, which was first the front office bridge, which is hire people from the GP side, hire people who understand the assets, the business models, who can execute quickly and are empowered to be the partner, you know, that flexible dynamic partner that is necessary in the early stages of building an investment firm. And then the third one, the back office bridge, our COO today was brought in over at Utimco, uh, Benjamin Murray, to build the first ODD program or operational due diligence program. And the way the way we partnered with Ben internally was we we had him basically consulting on how to build the perfect foundation. This is you know well designed back office that ta- shaves off that left tail risk, and you know this created two additional areas of value transfer and partnership. And so we really had three bridges at that point. Fantastic run. We built, we put about $4 billion in the ground under the strategy. If you look at the Cypress Creek team, immense amount of success. With all things, over time, it changes. And I remember very, very distinctly, um, the University of Texas had built a new system tower downtown. And we were in one of the beautiful corner offices. And me and some of my partners today were on the strategic partnership committee for private investments. And the ask in that room was who should we commit a billion dollars to this year? And it wasn't who as in what number of partners, it was what single partner. And if you start to reframe that, you get that where we started was lower middle market and you know, new and developing managers. That, that was a very different ask. It, it, it's, it's a great ask and people can be very successful doing it. And the endowment has continued to be very successful. But, you know, I looked at some of my partners here at Cypress Creek and I, it was just, it's like, man, we, we've come a long way. <laughs> That's fantastic, Billy. Great, great color. And, you know, it's not too dissimilar, right? From, 
a lot of the emerging managers who were at funds that were right where they wanted to be. And it started out as a $300 million fund and became a billion. And all of a sudden it's 2 billion. And you turn around and say, this isn't what I love doing. And of course, it's not to say that's everyone's story, but that story, absolutely. We see that on the GP side as well, which leads to so many of the emerging managers. So that's really unique insight. And I, I definitely do appreciate that. How do you assess and articulate the real unique market opportunity today with emerging managers that makes the segment so attractive? By the way, I think you're spot on that um, a, a lot of a lot of emerging managers share a similar story of, you know, they find success and, you know, their firms grow and they kind of want to get back to the roots. So I guess I'm, I'm not unique, but in, in many ways, what's really powerful about that is now that we've built Cypress Creek, I think fundamentally we've gone through the experience that a lot of our partners have gone through. And so I think, I think that's, a, that's really made us better partners. But, you know, when you, when you ask like, why why new and developing managers or emerging managers the way we do everything is there's a heavy dose of data i mean if you look at our backgrounds you know blackrock and etimco and organizations like that you know the investment theory the portfolio construction all of that stuff really matters to us but it's not the end all be all and so you know one i would just say the data when you really look at the interquartile skew with new and developing managers, lower middle market managers, there's great skew there. When you look at the market landscape, and again, we're lower middle market almost exclusively, the fragmentation of the lower middle market allows for more operationally driven value levers. And if you take a step back and ask, like, what what are we really building to? We're we're building to a cross-cycle portfolio. We're trying to take out a lot of the vol and say, no matter what the market does, we can still create create value with our partners and these underlying businesses. And so that market structure matters to us as well. You know, and so the data, data is one. And then when you really start to understand what, what we do as a firm, and I kind of talked about those bridges, we think it's, it's self-reinforcing when you say, when I say it was the private equity of private equity, it's, well, look, we're trying to create two-way streets. Uh, we're trying to allow our partners to focus on where they have the deepest edge, which is usually building businesses and finding great businesses uh, to invest in. And, and so some of the back office aspects, which are complicated and never changing, we remove some of the noise off their plate. And by doing that, we improve the transparency to us, which is self-reinforcing. We also remove a lot of the left tail risk that can be built into a back office unknowingly. And so it's self-reinforcing. And so you say like, well, these are kind of our operational value drivers of how we create value for our partners, which self it's a little bit self-serving. Maybe if you really, (laughs) if you really pushed me on it. Sure. You touched on it a little bit, but I think maybe would be good for the audience to to really get to know Cypress Creek a bit better on this episode. Teams are, of course, of the utmost importance when evaluating emerging managers. The same is true for LPs for a variety of reasons. What do you think makes the Cypress Creek team so successful? And maybe share a little bit more about what that team looks like. 
our core team has been doing this uh, for eight years or so together. And so we know each other. We know how uh, we, we all operate, um, where our personal genius lies. Uh, and there, there's benefits to that. But if I look and say, hey, what, what really makes us so successful is process. We are extremely process driven. That, that would be number one. And so everything kind of goes through uh, part of a mechanical funnel. But the other thing we are is we're very proactive. And so, you know, this starts at portfolio construction. And, you know, I said we're data driven. You know, we'll, we'll take the data set and then we start scorecarding sectors. And then once we decide on what sectors and weights we want in these sectors, we start looking for looking for those partners, which is a, a mapping exercise. So we, we're mapping talent ecosystems because people spin out of all the, all these great firms day in, day out. And there are certain firms that if you take a step back, the, the, the heuristics that we've understood is that some of them are just great firms for training people and people spin out all the time. And we want to make sure we're clued in on those. And then we map themes within those. And so then we're also looking for you know, the, the macroeconomic tailwinds and seeing who's chasing the same ones that we think are interesting. And that'll generally set up a team that we have found rather than showing up on our doorstep, which we think is pretty powerful. And it makes us very early uh, in those instances. I think that's something we're really good at. The other, the other thing I think that really differentiates our team and uh, and has created a, a lot of success is we're, we're so long-term oriented. We're about MOIC. We're about compounding over vintages and vintages. Uh, we're not transactional. You'll hear me say this a lot, and you probably already have heard, heard me say this, John, but like we're, we are, we are long-term greedy and we want our partners to be long-term greedy, not short-term greedy, meaning, you know, a partnership, the way we think about it is, it's got to be win-win. It cannot be a transaction. You know, we put too much human capital um, into our, our partnerships for us to view it as a transaction. It's got to be. It's got to be long term. It's got to be a partnership. That's great. Maybe talk a little bit. You've you've touched on a few different ways that your strategy and and frankly your historical investment strategy is is differentiated. But in what other ways do you think Cypress Creeks for lack of a better term, go-to-market strategy differs from other LPs? Yeah, I, I mean, again, um, you know, you, you've heard me talk about the bridges. I think different teams have different aspects of that. But overall, we're, we're, not, we're not here, we're not filling a box. We don't have a model term sheet that we say, hey, this is the term sheet, let's do it or, you know, let's move on. It, it's much more, these are people businesses Every strategy and every business is its own. It's unique, and we appreciate that, and we treat it as such. And so we're never we're never going to say, "Hey, here's the term sheet we used on the last deal. Why don't we just use the same term sheet?" We're going to get to know the team. We're going to get to know what matters and what works for the strategy, and we're going to build the box around it, right? And and that is something. It, it's art, not science. That's something that we've we've been really great at. And, you know, hopefully our, our partners uh, w- would echo that. But I think that's our biggest differentiator. You know, I'm not going to regurgitate, uh, you know, the, the bridges or any of the points I've already made. But I, I think that stands stands to be pretty powerful, that, that specific point. I love it. I totally agree with you, Billy. Talking about investment strategies of the emerging manager, what does Cypress Creek 
look for in emerging managers and the strategies that they're pursuing? So, John, we we look at the market um, and we invest across private equity sectors and real asset sectors. And we have two exceptions, though. We don't do VC and we don't do traditional real estate. Those are for two very different reasons. But when you really understand our goal of creating a cross-cycle compounding of returns uh, and being able to distribute liquidity to our investors, uh, what that really means is the duration of VC is way too high. Also, our anchor partner model does not work well in that ecosystem, and we had tried it um, when we were uh, at Utimco. And so... That's, that's some of the nut and bolts, nuts and bolts about the basics uh, of, of where we invest. What we look for uh, in our most successful man- managers, and I, I can go through a laundry list of, of work we do, but the most important from my experience is, is having a shared vision of really what that team wants to build because we are going to see a significant amount of control to our investment partners. That's how our model works. Um, it is it is about trust. And what we've learned, uh, and honestly, we've learned this in some cases the hard way, is if you don't have that shared vision of, hey, I want to build an investment firm rather than I want to make great investments and my business may you know, disappear with me, like which are two very different animals. If, if you're not on the same page there, it creates a lot more conflicts than you'd ever imagine. And under stress, uh, those come out pretty quickly. Uh, And so what we've learned is, first and foremost, make sure there's a shared vision. Um, The shared vision that that we think uh, is most powerful for our business model, not that you can't make money in all of these types of constructs, just what's most powerful for our business model and how we think about the world is is true business builders or building a true cross-generational investment firm. You know, that that's where we that's where we shine as a partner. That's great. We're truly focused on long term value add, lasting, durable relationships. You know, one duration of our relationships. Uh, we invest so much human capital with our partners. It is so expensive for us to go find another partner if you think about just man hours. And we would just rather scale capital day in, day out with, you know, a very high caliber partner that we already have. And so duration on the onset, I mean, we're thinking 20 plus year type partnerships. Fortunately, we are young people, so we can say that with a straight face. But, you know, my, I, Cypress Creek will live on without me. Um, I guarantee it. And, you know, we've already, just like we have our partners do, we've already kind of set um, our succession plans, even though I'm, I'm a whopping 40 years old, right? Uh, so it sounds almost silly, right? But that that's just the way we operate. I don't know. Call us crazy. So that that's the duration on the, you know, the duration target. It's long. It's all about compounding MOIC. The pre-relationship, uh, i.e. pre-investment, honestly, it, it's generally several years or longer. Uh, we have one investment partnership, uh, which uh, we're getting pretty pretty close to completing, where it's a year and change. That will probably be a record a record time for us. But it takes a lot of time to really perfect these types of relationships because it, it's a ton of trust going both ways, right? It's not something that's manufactured in a legal document. Sure. 
And so getting in early, building the true trust, the relationship, and then thinking about the 20 years, how does Cypress Creek measure the expectation around future scalability of an emerging manager strategy? You have to have a strategy or a skill set that isn't just a one and done. If you say, hey, I can invest 50 to $100 million in this strategy, and this is what I know, and I know nothing else, that's problematic because, one, we're going to ask to give you 50 to $100 million, and so you're not going to have any other LPs. And two, it's problematic because all that time, all that human capital, ultimately, if we can't scale over time, it doesn't, doesn't really um, leverage well. But there, there's a middle ground in there because um, we're not saying everyone has to be a Blackstone and everyone has to be a Blackrock and, you know, you, you don't need these open-ended funnels. You know, we like lower middle market. You can scale lower middle market fund to a very reasonable size and keep repeating. We have partners that have been doing this for ages and, you know, what, what ends up being the most important to us is that the capital raised fits the strategy. Absolutely. I want to get to your, I think, very unique position and your view of the macro environment with emerging managers. I think that'll be super helpful. But one last question is it relates to how Cypress Creek evaluates emerging managers. As a general matter, when you think about a team's history pedigree, what are some of the more attractive hallmarks that you look for in a partnership? That is a great question. I I wish I could say my answers would probably be surprises, but I really, I really don't think they're going to be that surprising. Um, You know, we're generally partnering with people that have a, a decent amount of runway in their careers. And that's great because there's a lot of runway for us to partner with them. Um, at the same time, that usually means their track records are a little bit more opaque. Um, it's not going to be the traditional, okay, here I can just run it through the, the you know, Excel funnel and we have our output. And so we, we, we tend to be very good at deciphering and breaking down opaque track records. And the, what I would simply say is a track record of success, it could be in an operating company. It could be at an investment firm. It doesn't really matter to us. Um, We're going to dissect that. But a track record of success is important. Focus is absolutely important as well, Uh, meaning there is a clear edge. They know what they are good at, you know, and part of that focus is generally having more process driven like approaches and more operationally driven value drivers. Um, And what that really allows us to to frame is the repeatability of their success. Those are the more structured aspects. And then I would say there's two, the two things, one I've talked about, one I did not, which are more qualitative. And and one of those is a shared vision. Nobody has a crystal ball, so nobody knows that they're going to get to that ultimate vision, but having that shared vision directionally is important. Um, And the other uh, more qualitative one is uh, a clear willingness to listen and learn. You know, you can't teach someone who already knows everything, anything. And so we're very cognizant of that because look, we're, we use soft diplomacy with our partners, meaning we're all in the same boat. We're trying to all 
get to the same win-win uh, solution. But there, there, there are partners um, who are more clearly understanding what they know and what they don't know, um, and there, and we find that we partner best with them because we're like that. And maybe this is us, you know, touting our culture around, but it's it's just it's a frankness, it's an honesty, and it's you know, it's a, a ability to ask the stupid question, maybe. So shifting now towards some of the more macro questions, what guidance are you giving GPs as it relates to their overall strategy for their fundraise in today's re-up environment? Uh, we, we basically get one of those magic eight balls that you shake around and, and, and put it, put it in front of them and, and just say, Hey, you can take this home in case you have any questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I actually probably need to get one of those for my desk, but, um, the truth is it, it depends where the GP is. And so if you're, if you're asking me for a GP that is going to raise its first fund, hasn't closed on a penny, um, is thinking about spinning out of their existing organization or has recently left, the advice I give them is plan as if this is an investment you are making, meaning create a budget. Think about your runway. Talk to your partners. Make sure you each have the same runway. Make sure you are each on the same page. And I would tell them, I'd say, hey, if they came back and they gave me a one-year runway, I'd say, well, you're one, you need to double or triple that. Otherwise, you're going to be coming to a year and you're going to have some tough conversations that you should have already had. But, but, but two, if, if, they, if they don't put enough thought into that, it creates a lot of stress and noise that they can, I think, address early on and really focus on what matters, which is finding great new investments and finding great great LPs uh, to support them in those. Um, uh, and so that, that's the advice I would say, Hey, give yourself, you know, I, I would say map out three years, make sure you're on the same, say, the same page as your partners, make sure it works for everyone. It is a really hard business to get off the ground. It's really hard to find those great partners, but they're out there. That's great. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Such a powerful business model. Once you get it going. No, no doubt. So that's, that's helpful for the GPs thinking about the spin out, the launch, how about a little step further? So for the emerging manager who just closed on their first fund, 50, 100, $300 million, whatever it is, what is some of the most important advice you would share with those emerging managers as they think about deployment, the next fundraise? What's top of mind for you? The... One of the most important, I don't know if it's obvious or not, but most important things from my perspective is your best marketing at that point is your current LPs. And you should treat them as best as you possibly can. And that means transparency, clarity in how you describe what you're investing in and what you're doing, and, and honesty, which means if things are going wrong or different than planned, you should be the first one bringing that up. And when you build, and nobody expects everything to go right perfectly the first time, but when you build that rapport um, and that trust through through that, that kind of transparency and partnership, uh, it goes a long way. And, and LP, the LP community is a small community. People trade seats a lot of times, but the LP community itself is small. And 
that's your best marketing. Those LPs that you have today are the ones that are probably going to help you find your future LPs. Uh, and so don't lose sight of that. I think, uh, you know, we've, we've seen, uh, and talked to some firms that once they raise that first pool of capital, they're like, great, we can stop marketing and now we can just focus on investments. And yeah, you should be focusing on investments, but it's not black or white. It's yeah. Maybe you shift a little bit more of your time, this direction, but keep investing in those partners. Make sure you go see them face-to-face meetings. Maybe I'm old school, John, you tell me, but uh, I think face-to-face meetings are great. Getting in front of those partners makes it a very real human experience. Absolutely. So pull out that magic eight ball. Um, What is your and Cypress Creek's outlook for fundraising by emerging managers in this year? I mean, clearly there's a lot of noise in the broader economy. Uh, it's been a challenging fundraise environment. I do think that has started to work its way through the system in some respect. What is your fundamental outlook for 23? You know, we've, we've got data through the first half of 2022. I haven't really seen uh, the second half, but first-time fund managers that are in our ecosystem uh, that we invest in, so XVC and ex-traditional real estate, you really saw that market, a number of funds getting raised, get cut in half in 2022. I would, relative to 2021, um, I I would think 2023 is better. Uh, There's just a lot of volatility and a lot of uh, quick adjustments happening in 2022. Uh, But I don't expect it to be where 2021 was. There are a lot of portfolios on the LP side um, that had pretty tough years. And that hasn't truly, the denominator effect, as people um, put it out there, hasn't truly, I think, shooken out. Uh, And so I think that's going to have an impact. And, you know, when you're looking for a slot on a full roster, it's hard. Um, With that said, I've I've got to commend uh, some of the larger teams like CalPERS um, who are putting more money into the new and developing manager segment. And, and there's a handful of other large firms. I, I think that's so powerful. And I honestly, I think it's a great investment and very thoughtful. And so, you know, hopefully that helps to balance the trade over time. You see that news and it's awesome validating your thesis, everything you're doing what are your reactions? And we don't have to, it's not just CalPERS, but what are your reactions when you see other news like that? Honestly, I, I think it's fantastic. It is uh, underinvested space in the market. It's a very attractive space done right. With that said, I, I mean, if you look at the data and there's some survivorship bias in this, the half-life of an investment firm is one vintage, uh, meaning from one vintage to the other, basically half of them will appear. Um, and again, there's some survivorship bias in that data, but it is a really tough space. And until you get to fund three, four, uh, you haven't really round tripped a lot of your capital. And so your staying power is still, still in question. And so done incorrectly, you know, it, it you know, it's not a great add to your portfolio, but there are, uh, you know, there are teams out there who are really good at. Uh, investing as part of the market. And um, I, I think it's it's absolutely fundamental that it's part of someone's portfolio. I'm biased though, I guess. So Sure. <laughs> and last question here, Billy, longer term, 
So as we look out five, 10 years from my seat, the emerging manager community has changed significantly over the past five, 10, frankly, because you've talked about five, 10 months, right? But when you look out longer term, what is your view of the landscape for emerging managers look like? When I look five, 10, 15 years out, what I know, the two things I know to be true are, one, it's going to be more expensive to operate an investment firm. I will guarantee that. Two, not only will it be um, more expensive to operate a firm, you will have, maybe taking a step back, it's going to be more expensive clearly because you have a lot more regulatory expenses. Um, you look at, you know, where some of the regulatory uh, legislation has been going. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's clear as day. The other thing that's probably clear as day is that you're always going to have spin outs. You know, when you look at all of the, you know, large established firms, um, and I love using Sequoia because Cypress Creek is a tree based firm, but like Sequoia, you know, is obviously a VC firm, but, and, but it's also the biggest tree in the forest, right? Uh, it's easy to spot Sequoia. There's always going to be people leaving those types of enterprises to try to build something new and every LP out there needs a bench. They may have their core managers, but they need a bench, you know? And so those, those things kind of contradict each other in a way, but I guess it's my way of saying there's always going to be a role for new and developing managers. It's a natural stage of the business and it's not going anywhere. Um, The fact that, you know, the CalPERS and some of the large capital uh, providers are, 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 putting a more uh, concerted focus on this part of the market. You know, I think it's welcome. Um, and there, there's plenty of capital need uh, to go around in the space. I don't think it's going to, to, to create um, any, um, any sort of bubble dynamics. Excellent. Well, Billy, thank you so much for joining me uh, today on FunFlow. As you know, uh, I do believe that we had built early on a very strong relationship just based on everything you are building at Cypress Creek, how you approach relationships. And, and I'm really very much appreciative for you joining us here, sharing your insights and your view with our emerging manager community. So thank you so much for your time. No, thank, thank you, John. Uh, I, I honestly, I really appreciate what McGuire Woods and yourself are doing for the uh, new and developing manager segment, similar to what you helped help do in the uh, the fundless sponsor space. So uh, excited to be on it and uh, enjoyed the dialogue. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of FundFlow. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host John Finger at jfinger at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action. 